Your brain takes in all of this external stimuli about your situation around you. Now, the first place that that data hits was it goes through your synapses in your brain. The first place the data hits is your limbic system. And in your limbic system is this thing called the amygdala. Now, the amygdala is the emotional center of your brain. So the first place this data hits, when you're bringing in data about a situation that's happening in front of you, it's hitting your emotional center first in your brain. And then once the data has been processed there, it goes on to your frontal lobe, which is your logic center of your brain. This is why friends, that I have had to apologize so much in my life for something that I've said in the heat of a moment out of an emotional reaction. So let's focus on what we know rather than how we feel. Because if we focus on how we feel, that's gonna drag us down. It's gonna pull us under. When your confidence and your boldness is solely based in how you feel in your current life circumstances, it's gonna fluctuate with the blowing of the wind because your circumstances change. to Shelter Cove Online. We are so glad that you're joining us today for this sermon. We hope and pray that this message encourages you, that you learn something, that you enjoy it. But more than that, we just pray that God would move in your life, that he would reveal some more of himself to you today. If you would like to respond to this message in any way, you can contact us at sheltercovelife.com. Have an amazing rest of your day. Some of you are either getting super friendly or you are in debate right now with people, all right? It is so good to see you, friends. My name is James. I'm on staff here at the church. And man, I'm so grateful that you are here this morning. Uh, who is excited for the football season? Yeah, good number of people. I'll just assume that the rest of you are Niners fans, all right? Just messing with you. Hey, I love you Niners fans. It's okay, I love the Niners. There is no better team to knock the Cowboys out of the playoffs than the Niners. So I'm rooting for you guys. Um, it's a masterclass on how to lose half your congregation before you even get going. If you have joined us over the last three weeks, uh, you'll have heard that we have been in a series talking about our vision. All right, we've been talking about the vision here at the church, which is that everyone will know him. What do we mean by the one? The one is the one who is lost, the one who is far from God, the one who does not have a relationship with God. We see in scripture that the heart of Jesus is to go after the one. And so that's what we've been talking about over the last three weeks. Uh, week one was awesome. Pastor Jeremy talked about salt and about light. And he gave us this really powerful illustration uh, of what happens if we shine brightly in this, our community in our Central Valley area by holding up our phones with the lights on it. It was just a really cool image uh, of what that could look like. And it was just a really great week. Week two, Pastor Chad brought the word. He talked about a culture of grace and of love and about how that's attractive, about how uh, that can be important in reaching the one. And then last week, last week was my favorite. Anybody here last week? Anybody else praying for that sheep to poop all over Pastor Jeremy's shoes? It was maybe just me. I think he got out unscathed. But man, I love that, that imagery of the sheep uh, that the Bible uses in Luke 15, the idea of this lost sheep that wanders away from the fold. It's the heart of Jesus to go after the lost. 
man, I have loved this last series. And so today we're not in the vision series anymore. This is a standalone message, but it's kind of an epilogue. It's a little bit uh, of what comes after the story, right? An epilogue is something that comes at the end of the book and it doesn't necessarily pertain to the story, but it's still useful. It's still uh, useful information. And so that's what today's message is gonna be a little bit. If there was one thing that's clear uh, from the vision series is that you and I have personal responsibility when it comes to reaching people in the name of Jesus, Right, You and I have a mission to complete. We are to reach and raise authentic followers of Jesus so that everyone will know him. And in fact, last week we gave out these little resources that had uh, the gospel just spelled out plain and simple and how to build relationship with people, how to tell your story of what Jesus has done in your life. And that's a great little tool, but that is just one ingredient in this recipe of how to reach your one. Another ingredient that I think is key and is important is boldness. We need boldness and confidence in order to do this. And so that is what we are going to talk about today. You see, so often we're timid with our Christian faith, right? We come to church on the weekends and we drop the kids off, grab a coffee. By the way, they have fall coffee drinks available now. I'm all about a pumpkin spice latte and I'm not afraid to say it, but you grab the coffee and then you come into the worship center and the extent of your boldness might be occasionally lifting a hand in worship and then you walk out of here and it would be really difficult to see that you even went to church at all. So often we are timid with our Christian faith. We keep it inside. We shrink into the shadows of obscurity because we are too concerned with how people think of us. We're too concerned with what people uh, have in their minds when they look at us. We're concerned with how we are perceived by people, right? We get so, so caught up in that, we get fearful of it. And so today we're gonna look at boldness and we're gonna be camping out in Acts chapter four. So go ahead and turn there now if you have your Bibles. Uh, If you don't have your Bibles, we have an amazing team of ushers that have some Bibles. Uh, Just raise your hand if you need one. And if you don't have a Bible at all, we want this to be our gift to you. We want everybody to have access to the word of God with a Bible. So just raise your hand if you need one. Little bit of an introduction to the book of Acts. You can find it immediately after the gospels. So it's the fifth book into the New Testament. And it's written by a guy called Luke. This is the same Luke that wrote the gospel of Luke. Uh, This is the same author. And he's writing an account now, uh, first of Jesus's life in the gospel, but now he's writing an account of the apostles as they go forth into the world and spread this message of Jesus, as they go and preach this gospel. And in fact, you may know Acts by its more traditional name, not its original name, but you may know it by its more uh, traditional name of Acts of the Apostles. And so you can see what you're gonna find in the book of Acts. We're gonna be following the apostles. Uh, Acts chapter one, you read of Jesus spending some time with his disciples before, this is after the resurrection and before he ascends to God's right hand in heaven. And so we read that in chapter one. Chapter two, we see the coming of the Holy Spirit uh, early on in chapter two. And then later on in chapter two, we get a really cool picture of what the early church is starting to look like. We start to see that, uh, I think it's Acts 2.42, we see that they are together, that they are unified. They broke bread together, kind of like we did today. They uh, served together, kind of like many of us do here at the church. They were a church unified under this gospel truth and this common purpose of spreading and living out this gospel. Kind of reminds me of Shelter Cove right now. Shelter Cove is an attractive place to be. God is on the move here right now. And so I, I just love our church. And man, the early church is starting to look attractive. 
And then you get to Acts chapter three. And this is where the rubber starts to hit the road a little bit. This is the first time that the apostles are gonna meet some major opposition to this message that they're bringing is in Acts chapter three. So I'm gonna give you the story so far and we're gonna pick up then in Acts chapter four, uh, round about verse 18, but we gotta start in Acts chapter three to understand where we're headed here. So Peter and John, two apostles, they were disciples of Jesus as well. They're walking through the temple courts in Jerusalem and they come across a guy who is on the ground. He can't walk, he is a lame beggar, okay? And he's just begging for alms, which means he's just begging for charitable donations. He's begging for money. And so Peter sees this guy and he walks up to him and he says, I don't have any money, but what I have, I will give to you. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter miraculously heals this guy. And it's this dramatic scene. The guy gets up and he's leaping around and he's wandering around and people start to look at what has happened. And so Peter, ever the opportunist, takes this opportunity to start preaching about Jesus, about the resurrection to the people gathered in the temple courts. Now, there was this group back then called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin are made up of the, uh, the, the high ruler, the high priest, uh, the elders, the scribes of the temple, the Pharisees. They made this group called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin fundamentally do not believe in this resurrection that Peter and John are talking about. They don't believe it. They don't agree with it. They don't even believe that there's life after death, much less uh, any kind of a resurrection uh, that happened. And so they see Peter and John peddling this message and they decide to intervene and they arrest Peter and John. They throw these guys into prison overnight pending a hearing the next day. And so chapter four is where we pick up in the hearing. Peter and John go before the Sanhedrin court. And what does Peter do? He preaches the gospel to the Sanhedrin court, even though fundamentally he knows that they disagree, even though this is what got them arrested. And so he's preaching about Jesus and about the resurrection to the Sanhedrin. And something kind of cool happens. The Sanhedrin actually make a little bit of a concession. They say, well, these guys must have been with Jesus. They're speaking with such passion and credibility. These guys must have been with Jesus. And even though they make that uh, concession, they still decide that they don't want the apostles preaching about Jesus anymore. They don't want this message of the resurrection going any further. They still don't believe it. They're gonna nip it in the bud right there. And so the Sanhedrin go back to Peter and John after deliberation. And this is where we're gonna pick up. This is gonna be Acts uh, chapter four, verse 18. This is what it says. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Friends, I love this response. The bigwigs have just shut them down, right? They've threatened them. Uh, there's been intimidation. We don't know exactly what these threats or this intimidation look like. We can infer that from some of the things that happened later on in the book of Acts, that this was probably pretty unpleasant. That the things they were threatening was violence and were harm to life. And yet Peter and John still decide to do something. They make a choice right there in that moment. And it's the same choice that you and I have to make. If we're gonna live boldly as followers of Jesus, we have to choose what is right over what is safe. It's point number one in your notes. If you're following along, great way to follow along, by the way, with those notes. We have to boldly choose what is right over what is safe. Peter and John had this choice to make, right? They could have said, well, I guess we're gonna have to tone this down a little bit. 
We're gonna have to chill out on this Jesus talk. Clearly we're in danger here if we continue to do this. So let's calm down on the Jesus talk. Maybe we'll mention it here or there, but probably need to chill on the preaching, right? And yet they do not choose that. As much as that would have been the safer thing to do for their lives and their well-being, they chose what was right, which was to say to these guys, we're gonna continue to do this. We cannot help but continue to do this. I want you to just take a second and put yourself in Peter and John's shoes here real quick. What might you have been feeling at that moment? You've just received these threats, this intimidation. You've had your life threatened more than likely. How are you feeling in that moment? It's a pretty hard thing to think about, right? The reason being that here in our Western culture, here in Modesto, we don't get threatened with our lives a lot for living a Christian life. We're talking about Jesus. We're not under threat of of death or, or intimidation or violence if we speak about Jesus. So it's hard for us to think about that. And yet, even though we're not being threatened with this violence or this intimidation, we still manage in our relatively comfortable lives, we still choose safe because we are creatures of safety. And if you don't believe that we're creatures of safety, I'll challenge you to this. Go home today, open any of the products you have in your house and look at the warning label. It's ridiculous, friends. (laughs) We have gotten crazy with the safety. I wanna show you some warning labels. Check this out. These are real. Did anyone arrive in a wheelbarrow? No, I didn't think so. Uh, The next one I love, this is my favorite one for sure. Now I'm a fairly new parent. Our kid is uh, eight months old, nearly nine months old. And even I knew that you're not supposed to fold the thing up with the kid inside, right? Here's one more for you. Uh, Anybody work in a hardware store, Home Depot or anything? Have you ever had this request come across your desk at work? Can you imagine? I got a toothache, come here. This is funny, right? These are funny, but it's kind of an interesting window into our society. The fact that we have to spell these things out in the name of safety. We are overly concerned with safe. So James, how does this play out? You're telling me that we choose safety. Okay, explain how. Explain how we choose what is safe over what is right today. Well, listen, maybe you're at the water cooler at work and maybe the gossip's flying and there's some character assassination going on. And the safe thing to do is to just participate because frankly, I don't wanna be seen as different here. I don't wanna be the outlier. I don't want people to think I'm weird. So as far as public opinion goes, the safer thing to do is just to join in and conform. Maybe you're out of the bar Everyone's drinking, everyone's getting hammered. You're thinking, man, this, this, I don't wanna be the odd one out here. I don't wanna be the weird one. So the safe thing to do is just to join in and be a part of it. That's how we choose safety. Safety so often today looks like conformity. If there's one thing that's clear in scripture is that we are supposed to be the outliers. Pastor Jeremy talked about this in week one of this vision series. We're to be salt and light. We have gotta be different. We're supposed to make people thirsty for Jesus. We're supposed to be flavorful. We're supposed to shine brightly. We are supposed to be recognizably different than the world. And yet so often we choose safety by just conforming, by fitting in, because that's the safer thing to do. It's the easier thing 
to do. Friends, we need the boldness to confidently live out this Christian walk unconcerned with how other people might be thinking about us. We need the boldness to confidently go forward and say, I don't care what they say, I am gonna do what is right. Because at the end of the day, you and I, we have an audience of one. We have an audience of one, that is the Lord God Almighty. I love what the Apostle Paul says uh, in his letter to the Corinthians. By the way, fun fact for you, there's good reason to believe that the uh, Apostle Paul, before he became an apostle, before his transformation, uh, there's good reason to believe that he was on this Sanhedrin court that were accusing Peter and John. We know from a verse later on in Acts that Paul says he was one of the accusers back in Jerusalem. So it's possibility that Paul was on this court. It's one of those fun little pieces of Bible trivia that I just love getting into and exploring. But the Apostle Paul goes on to talk about this idea of being judged by the court of public opinion. He says this in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, verse three, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. It's God Almighty who judges us. Peter and John were up against the court of the Sanhedrin being threatened with their lives and intimidation. You and I are more concerned about the court of public opinion. Friends, we gotta live boldly in our Christian faith, boldly and publicly. Let's continue on in this account of Peter uh, and John. They've just told the Sanhedrin uh, that they're gonna continue to talk and teach about Jesus, right? Here's what happens next, picking up in verse 23 of Acts 4. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So the response to this whole experience of being threatened and intimidated and basically shut down is to go with other believers and pray. I love that response. Does that sound like a good response to you? In response to this discouragement, we don't know how they felt. If it's me, I'm telling you, when I was a kid, I had bullies. I'm sure everybody has a story of a bully, right? I used to quake in my boots. Whenever a bully would say, oh, you better not tell the teacher. I, little James was quaking in his boots. He was petrified. If it's me with these guys threatening my life, I am likely discouraged, I am frightened, I am nervous about the future. We don't know what it is that the apostles felt at this moment, but whatever it is that they felt, they did one very important thing. They boldly chose what they knew over what they felt. And so must we boldly choose what we know over what we feel. Point number two in your notes. So what was it the apostles knew? What did they know for sure? They knew that in the face of this discouragement, in the face of this setback, that they could go to the sovereign Lord God Almighty in prayer and pray to the sovereign God. What does sovereign mean? Sovereign simply means that the creator God has the authority, the power to move his creation around at his pleasure. Put simply, he is in control. And so when the apostles didn't know what was happening next, they were discouraged and set back. They went to what they knew, which was that God is in control. And they actually go on to pray uh, scripture. This is something else that they knew was their scripture. They went on to pray out of Psalm 2, verses one and two. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? 
The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. They pray scripture. Friends, one of the reasons why it's so important to know scripture because you can turn to it when everything else just seems crazy and in turmoil where you don't know what's coming next. You can pray about what you know. And this concept can be hard for us to master, right? This whole idea of focusing on what we know rather than what we feel, because generally humans are fairly emotional creatures. Fair to say? We are focused on our feelings a lot. We're feely kind of creatures. And let me give you some science to back this. Now, bear in mind, I wasn't much of a scientist at school. Wasn't much of a mathematician. I didn't really do well at English either. I wasn't very good in school at all. And so try and bear with me as I explain some of this science. And if you know that I'm wrong, if you're a scientist here today, come tell me afterwards so I can fix it for the next service. But here's the science. Your brain brings in all this external stimuli, right? What you can see, what you can taste, what you can touch, uh, what you hear, what you smell. Your brain takes in all of this external stimuli about your situation around you. Now, the first place that that data hits was it goes through your synapses in your brain. The first place the data hits is your limbic system. And in your limbic system is this thing called the amygdala. Hope I'm saying that right. Now, the amygdala is the emotional center of your brain. So the first place this data hits when you're bringing in data about a situation that's happening in front of you, it's hitting your emotional center first in your brain. And then once the data has been processed there, it goes on to your frontal lobe, which is your logic center of your brain. This is why, friends, that I have had to apologize so much in my life for something that I've said in the heat of a moment out of an emotional reaction. And later on, the logic has made sense of it, and I've realized that was not such a big deal as I emotionally thought it was in the moment. And so we are actually wired this way to be emotional creatures. And that's good, right? It's to do with fight and flight. Like we are supposed to be that way, but it does make this difficult. It means that we're always gonna react out of our emotion before we are able to focus on what we know. And our feelings can completely derail us. If we focus on our feelings and we just dwell in those they can completely knock us off for the rest of the day or even week or even month, right? If you get into a funk and you wake up one day and you're just discouraged, you're depressed or you're angry about something, that can entirely derail everything about your day. And maybe that's you today. Maybe that just resonated with you. Maybe you're sat here and you're thinking, man, James, you tell me not to react emotionally. If you'd had the kind of week that I've had, you would be reacting emotionally. And if that's you and you've had a bit of a week, I'm sorry, but let me encourage you with something. You can make the decision right now to focus on what you know to be true rather than how you feel. What is it that we know to be true? We know that there's a sovereign God who is in control that is bigger than any of your circumstances. We know that we have a sovereign God who is bigger than your relationship troubles. We have a sovereign God who is bigger than your marriage troubles. We have a sovereign God who's bigger than any relationship problems, any financial problems, any mental health problems, any problems that you are up against in life. We have a sovereign God who is in control, who is bigger than all of it. So let's focus on what we know rather than how we feel. Because if we focus on how we feel, that's gonna drag us down. It's gonna pull us under. When your confidence and your boldness is solely based in how you feel in your current life circumstances, it's gonna fluctuate with the blowing of the wind because your circumstances change. But if you focus on God, you focus on what is eternal, not on what is temporal. 
you will find that there's confidence and there's boldness available to you even when you feel like there's not. There's a few things about this prayer that the apostles are praying that I want to uh, make sure we don't glaze over real quick. Uh, There's two things. First of all, I want you to notice that the apostles prayed vocally. This uh, scripture is clear. This was an out loud prayer, all right? It says they raised their voices together. Now, does this mean that there's something insufficient about praying in your mind or in your thoughts? No, not necessarily. It's not what I'm saying. After all, I think that's probably some of the way that we fulfill the mandate that Paul gives us about uh, praying without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says, pray without ceasing. I think we do that by praying in our mind and in our thoughts. And yet there seems to be something powerful about speaking when we pray, about praying out loud. Friends, I think we gotta get confident praying out loud. And for some of you, the thought of praying in front of other people or in in an environment where you are praying and other people are listening, that just makes your palms sweat just even thinking about it, right? Let me encourage you with this. Prayer, not about eloquence. Prayer is not about performance. Prayer is not about what other people think when they're hearing you pray. Prayer is about you talking to God. Lord, I have had a crummy week. I don't know how the next week's gonna look, but I just feel down. I just, I do not feel good. And so God, I just, you're in control. The only way this is gonna work is if you're in control. It's a totally appropriate prayer to pray. Don't worry about this. Thou art the mighty in heaven above. We call upon your name so humbly so that you don't worry about all of the words. It's a conversation with God. They prayed vocally. They prayed out loud. The other thing is they prayed together. They prayed as a group. It's clear that there was one person who was uh, leading in prayer and the others were praying and agreeing with that person. We read uh, in Matthew 18, 19 and 20, Jesus says that where two or more are gathered in his name, there he will be among them, right? There's something powerful when we pray together, unified as a family. And I wanna encourage you, if you are not yet planning on attending the prayer and worship night tomorrow night, I wanna encourage you right now, you gotta be there. You have got to be there. If you've been in a previous one, you'll know there's something special about those nights when we can gather together and pray together. Gotta pray together, friends. Let's continue on in this prayer that the apostles are praying. Check this out, this is verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Here's why this is referred to as the prayer for boldness. That's probably what the little heading in your Bible says, a prayer for boldness. This is why the apostles prayed for boldness. And here's what I want you to get out of this. They prayed for a changed heart over a changed circumstance. And so we must boldly pray for a changed heart over a changed circumstance. You'll notice here that the apostles didn't pray that God would give them an easy time of things. They did not pray, God, please just level the Sanhedrin so we don't have to deal with them. They didn't say, God, uh, make the Sanhedrin deaf so they don't hear us talk about you. They didn't pray for the circumstances to be changed. They prayed that by the power of the Holy Spirit, they prayed, God, enable your servants. They didn't pray for the bar to be lowered. They prayed that they would be raised up so that they could meet that challenge. Because they knew that they had faced challenges. The the apostles knew this. The disciples especially knew this. They had uh, been with Jesus when Jesus said in John 16, 33, in the world, you will have tribulation. 
but take heart because I have overcome the world. So Jesus himself has guaranteed tribulation. He's guaranteed troubles. He's guaranteed problems, right? And so if that's the constant, if we know one thing for sure is that we're gonna meet challenges and tribulation, then the variable is our ability to rise up to meet those challenges by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. Is it bad to pray for a changed circumstance? No, no, it's not. Jesus himself prayed for a changed circumstance. When he's faced with the idea of his crucifixion, Jesus himself prayed to his father and said, Father, if it be your will, remove this cup from me. Even Jesus prayed for a changed circumstance. The problem comes when that is all we pray. If all we're praying for is safe and easy, then man, if God answered that prayer, think about that for a second. If God answered that prayer and everything becomes safe and easy, you wouldn't be in a very effective Christian, would you? You'd never be challenged. You'd never have the ability to lean on the Holy Spirit. You'd never have the opportunity to pray for boldness in the face of something insurmountable because you're just counting on the bar to be lowered. Friends, we gotta stop praying safe. This Christian walk, this Christian life, it's not safe. This is the last thing in your notes. I've even put the writing on the wall. Now is not the time for safe. We need the boldness and the confidence to live out our Christian faith, to walk uh, confidently knowing that through the power of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter what people think of us. It doesn't matter how people perceive us. It doesn't matter what consequence we may face. We're gonna choose to do what's right in the face of what's safe. Friends, there's never been a worse time not to be bold. The reality of the matter is this, the majority of the population of planet earth are heading towards an eternity spent separated from God. And you and I are called to be a part of the equation. You and I are called to be a part of God's beautiful solution. We are to take the gospel to people, to tell them what Jesus has done for them, to tell them what Jesus has done in our lives so that they might understand. Now is not the time for safe. We can't afford to hide in the shadows of obscurity. We can't afford to live a secret Christian life. It's simply not what we were called to do. Look what happened when the apostles were done praying. Check this out. When they had prayed, this is verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. What does filled with the Holy Spirit mean? This is a continual thing. We will need to be filled with the Spirit again and again. It simply means to be fully submitted to, controlled by leaning on the Holy Spirit. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to lead in our lives and guide us. And so through the power of the filling of the Holy Spirit, these guys have boldness. Friends, we gotta pray for this. We gotta stop praying for safe, stop praying for easy. God, pray. we pray that you would fill us with boldness. We pray that through the power of your spirit, we would be made bold and confident, not afraid of what people think about us. Is anyone with me on this? Is anyone with me on this need for boldness today, now more than ever? Good, because here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray for boldness together. And so if you're able, why don't you stand with me? I want you to understand something. This is not a safe prayer. 
Because when we pray for boldness, you better believe that we're gonna have the opportunity to exercise that boldness. It's gonna happen. You're gonna be challenged with it. You're gonna have a choice to choose this boldness with the power of the Holy Spirit backing you. And so know that when you're praying for this, it is not a safe prayer. Let's pray together. Sovereign Lord, you are in control. Lord, we rely on you, we lean on you, God. We cannot do this without you. Lord, we don't wanna be hiding in the shadows. We want people, when they look at us, we want people to see you. We wanna glorify you in everything that we do. We wanna glorify you in the way that we live our lives boldly and confidently proclaiming your name. We don't wanna be afraid of a spiritual conversation. We don't wanna be afraid of what people might think about us if we choose to be different and live according to what it is you've called us to. And so God, we need boldness. Fill us with your spirit. May we be led by your spirit with boldness and confidence. As we leave here today, God, may we actively choose to be bold this week, to lean on your spirit so that we can walk confidently. We know that this is a dangerous prayer, Lord God. We know that we are gonna be faced with opportunities to lean on the spirit in this regard. And we invite that, God, we invite that. We ask for those opportunities. Lord, we love you. We praise you. It's only through your power and your might that we're gonna be able to do this. We thank you for boldness. Lord, we pray this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Friends, I am praying for boldness for you this week. Do not walk out of here and live as you've been living in the shadows of obscurity. Walk out of here encouraged, knowing that you are confidently a child of God and you are called to walk that way. Know that we love you, we appreciate you, and we will see you next week.